Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. The Audio Vault on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star is brought to you by AA Best Bail Bonds. 225-2121 or online at mybestbailbonds.com. James Pledger, Jack Thompson, The Saturday Morning Hangover. Good morning and welcome into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I am James Pledger, no Jack Thompson, no Katie Goodman this morning. I will be taking you until 11 o'clock as I kind of wake up in the middle of the night to just oddities again. A couple weeks ago I had that weird dream that kind of shook me. You ever have those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and your immediate thought is, well, this is just my life from now on, and you kind of overreact to things? Like, you sleep on your arm wrong, it falls asleep, like, super hard, you came and lifted up under your own power, and you're like, oh, wow, I guess um, I'm just never going to use this arm again. Well, I had an- another overreaction like that, that last night because... Woke up in the middle of the night. Apparently, we had some heavy thunderstorms. I was asleep. I don't remember them. I didn't hear them. I didn't wake up for them. But I did wake at some point in the middle of the night because I guess my fan went off and white noise, etc., etc. And I woke up to pitch blackness. Just cannot see shadows, anything. Just darkness. Complete and utter darkness. And I'm like, am I blind? Because I cannot see anything anywhere. So I start reaching for where I know my phone is because can't see the charging lights because everything is out. Finally, you know, double tap screen, lights come on. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not blind. But my initial reaction to waking up and not being able to say a single thing, zero things, was am I blind now? Does anybody else have reactions like that when they just wake up out of a sleep? And instantaneously just think the worst thing in the world has just happened? Or is that just me? (laughs) I don't know. But tons to get into this weekend. Of course, as you heard, the finals are going on. Game two is tomorrow night. A game you can catch here on San Antonio Sports Star. Oh, man. Is the series over already? I mean, (laughs) it's it didn't look good in game one. That's for sure. By the way, I've also got uh, lots of giveaways today. I got tickets to go see Weezer this hour. Uh, 656 ESPN, 656-3776 on the Kielbasa Smoke Meets phone lines. When you hear me bump back with a Weezer song at any point in time this hour, go ahead and be caller number, let's say 11. Caller 11, when you hear a Weezer song during the first hour of the Saturday morning hangover, and you 
can win some tickets to go check out Weezer as they come to Austin next Thursday, June 8th, at the Germania Insurance Amphitheater up there in Austin. So, if you want to go see Weezer, cool. If not, if you'd rather go see, I don't know, let's say Thomas Rhett. Guess what? Got you covered there. In the 10 o'clock hour, I'm going to give away tickets to go see Thomas Rhett, who is coming to the Moody Center in Austin. I've got you hooked up. All you got to do, once again, listen for the cue to call. I'll let you know in the 10 o'clock hour as I think about this a little bit more, how I want to do the Thomas Rhett ones. But both Weezer this hour, Thomas Rhett next hour in Austin. We've got your chance to go see them both right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover. Now, the NBA, we're in the final weeks of it. Maybe the final week and a half of it. A lot of time in between these games. Don't got to worry too much about fatigue, especially when you talk about the Nuggets, who look pretty sharp after nine days off last week. Denver kind of did whatever they wanted. I know they tried to make it a game late, and everybody's talking about, well, look how they did. Look, you know, they, they, they made a comeback there late. Miami wasn't shooting good. But as you watch that game, Miami wasn't shooting good because DM, Denver had fantastic defense. Joker was blocking shots. No shots came easy. No shots were open. They rotated well. They trapped on defenders. They closed out. Things didn't come easy to Miami. So if they're locked in defensively that same way, I find it hard for them to kind of get their shots going. Now, maybe they get a game where they're just playing outside their mind. But for the most part, if they're going to play defense like that this entire series, this is going to be very difficult because at least with Denver, even with Miami playing great defense, Joker can get his, Jamal Murray can go off at any point, Michael Porter Jr.'s a lottery pick that was at one time thought to be the best player coming out of high school and college before injuries set them back a little bit. So you know they've got multiple options that they can kind of go through. If one shut down or multiple people are shut down, somebody else can step up. Aaron Gordon's another one of those guys who had a big game in game one. It's just so many options for them where if Jimmy Butler's having enough off night offensively, it is hard for the rest of them to kind of pick up that slack. And that's brutal because the rest of them are undrafted guys. You look at Gabe Vincent, you look at Max Struess, you look at the players that they have, and I know they may be getting back Tyler Hero at some point this week, but you can't ask role player guys to be the guy if the guy's shut down. It's just... It's very hard to expect that, especially on a consistent basis throughout an entire series. And Joker, he felt like he was kind of shut down, but you look up at the stat sheet, and it's just insane. He goes for 27, 14, and 10. And it's like, where did that come from? How did he end up with 27? It was a lot like Tim Duncan back in his prime. You just kind of look up, and all of a sudden he's got 30, and you didn't know how he got there. At least with like Jordan, Kobe, you knew they were going off. You just felt it. You saw it. But I feel like Joker, Duncan, these are guys that you just look up at the at the stat sheet and go, wow, how did that happen? Whew. It's going to be a very, very difficult test, in my opinion, for the Heat 
to muster together four wins in this series. I love the underdog story, losing the first play-in game, coming back, running through the one seed, the four seed, and the two seed to get all the way into the NBA Finals to take on the Denver Nuggets. But I think their luck has run out. Just because they're so... Like, we talked about the amount of... The amount of weapons that the Celtics had in the last series. I mean, you shut down Tatum and Brown, you're kind of good. Everybody else is really a role player on that team, whether it's Derek White or Marcus Smart or Al Horford. Yeah, they've got a lot of really good pieces. But those pieces can't just go off and get it themselves. The Nuggets feel like they have more pieces that if something's... And they all kind of know their role, which makes it even more difficult. Like, Joker's the tip of the spear. He's going to kind of start things. But Aaron Gordon, he's a guy that can go get you some, and he did. Jamal Murray finishes with 26. Michael Porter Jr. is a guy where you could look up and he can go for 30. It's going to be a much more difficult task to end up shutting down all of the Nuggets because the Nuggets, unlike Brown and Tatum, both of them feel like kind of oil and water. They don't mix well. You don't see both of them really go off at the same time. It's one or the other's game, and you just kind of feel it out from there. This doesn't feel like that. These parts feel like they blend together. And as I said, Nikola Jokic is the tip of that spear because he initiates offense. He can create the offense. He can really do whatever the defense is giving him. And it's so hard because he can fight. He's such a great passer. His passing is severely overrated or underrated, excuse me. And Jimmy Butler was talking after game one about just the difficulty and trying to slow down what they do. And it especially Nikola Jokic. And for me, yeah, you got to attack um, and attack everybody, not just one individual. I have to do a better job of um, creating the help, one, two guys, and getting it to my shooter, otherwise finishing at the rim, making shots. But uh, we missed a lot tonight, and we'll be better in game two at the end of the day. That's what it is, so we'll, we'll take this, we'll learn from it, and we'll be back in two days. Will you? Because they play really good defense. Like, you miss shots, but I think a lot of those missed shots were contested shots that Denver really, really put the clamps down defensively, and I don't think they get enough credit for how they play defensively. And it's both ends of the court, and that just, it's kind of the antithesis of unselfish basketball. Like, you think of an unselfish basketball, you think a lot about offensively. Offensively, getting other people involved outside of yourself, trying to bring the entirety of the product together. But a lot of people slack on the defensive side of the ball. Not Miami. Both these teams play really good defense. But because you use a lot of your legs playing defense, and a lot of players want to kind of save their legs for the offensive side of the floor. James Harden's notorious for stuff like that. It's easy to lock in at points and times during the game. It's harder to be locked in throughout the entirety of a game defensively because 
of the wear and tear it takes on your lower body, just staying out there, exerting that much force, that much effort. And then on the other side, you think that you can shut down. Like Nikola Jokic had a very, very, it felt like pedestrian first half. And a lot of that had to do with his points, but it's because he was still getting other people involved. And Jokic talked about kind of that unselfish play of his. That's how I learned to play basketball. And, um, I think it's that it's really nice to play when, and it's really hard to guard when uh, you don't know who's gonna attack and uh, how to defend. You know when everybody's moving, everybody's uh, doing something. So I think it's a it's a really nice brand of basketball that uh, that we have. He really just does sound like Ivan Drago from Rocky Four. <laughs> I must break you. But it's it's the entirety of the team. They all have this mindset of it doesn't matter who it is. We're, we've all got this. When our number's called upon, I'm not looking to get mine every night. It may end up that way, but I'm not looking to get it, and I'm just going to do the best basketball thing. A lot of like the Spurs 2014 season when they were playing that beautiful brand of basketball where there's so much ball movement whipping around and just find the open guy yes of course there's always going to be a guy that kind of leads the charge on things like that Nikola Jokic is that guy that's going to lead in a lot of ways Jamal Murray is another guy who's going to lead offensively especially in the playoffs when you're talking about a guy who is almost eight points a game better in the postseason than he was in the regular season just finds another level and he talks about making sure that it's not focused on one particular player. We're just reading the game. If they take the pocket away, then we're looking somewhere else. If they take me away, then we're looking somewhere else. If You know what I'm saying? Um, we're just trying to find the open man, find the best shot, find the mismatch. Um, and I think you know, we do that throughout the game. So it's hard to guard everybody instead of just one or two guys. Uh, we make you... Uh, you know, have to be locked in on defense throughout the game. And uh, I think tonight was just a great example of, you know, it could be anybody's night and anybody's quarter, maybe not your quarter. Um, so that's just Nuggets basketball. Malmer is that dude, especially in the playoffs. He just takes it up a notch in the postseason, and he's showing it yet again this year, which is why it was so difficult to believe in those Denver teams in the past because Jamal Murray kept getting hurt, and last year we didn't see him at all because the ACL the year before – in the playoffs, and seeing him fully healthy, fully functional for an entire season and an entire playoff run, Denver's going to be really good for a long period of time because they have these guys locked up for a substantial period of time. And I keep hearkening back to the Spurs 2014, Tim Duncan because of the unselfish play that they all have, the the mentality of not caring about media, who's getting theirs, whatnot. They're they're concerned about winning and doing what's best and making the best basketball play. And I'm I don't think it's outright to think of the Spurs when you think of this Nuggets team in instances like this because Nikola Jokic himself TNT post game after game one talked about kind of who he patterns his game after 
And there's a lot of silver and black influences when he starts to mention it. To be honest, I, back, in, back in Serbia, we, I didn't follow NBA that much. We know Peja and, and, and Vlad Divac because they were the, and Dražen Petrić, they were like the one who first went to NBA and opened the doors for every, every other, let's say, European players or players from ex-Yugoslavia. Uh, but when I came here, it was, it was Timmy Duncan, it was Lamarco Sondrić, it was Boris Diaw, Dirk Nowitzki, you know, those kind of guys. I mean, DL, LA, Duncan, three Spurs right there, and then Dirk, who you can see it in his game a little bit, especially from the outside with the way he shoots and his unorthodox shooting style at times. Uh, Dennis Harris on our YouTube live, of course. Subscribe, watch on our YouTube live feed at SA Sports Star. Dennis Harris says, Miami will have a little more wind in game two, then they'll get to go home. It ain't over. Look, I get going home, especially where players play better at home. I don't know how much more wind they'll have. They had the same amount of time off, basically, between game seven and game one. Every series is going to have the exact same amount of time off between it. I think the Nuggets are more apt to be able to deal with with that because they're both dealing with the same amount of rest now, only the Nuggets are coming into it with more rest. Therefore, I think they are better prepared for this series than are the Miami Heat, who are already playing shorthanded with so many injuries. Their guys have to play a lot more minutes. I just, I think everything is sort of against the Miami Heat in this series. It's hard. And I'm not, I'm not Michael Menez. I'm not going to say the series is over. It's over. But Miami is definitely facing an uphill climb for the rest of the series. 656 ESPN, 656-3776. Remember, I got Weezer and Thomas Rhett tickets I am giving away. Weezer this hour, Thomas Rhett next for the Weezer tickets. Be listening. When I bump back or at any point during the show, play some Weezer be caller number 11 at that point, and you could be going to see Weezer at the Germania Insurance Amphitheater on June 8th, next Thursday, up in Austin. Coming up, though, NFL OTAs are in full effect. Texans, Cowboys, Chiefs, Bengals, the entire NFL is underway. And we're seeing some interesting things come out. Of course, when it comes to the Dallas Cowboys, it's all about Mike McCarthy. It's all about that new offense. It's all about getting rid of Kellen Moore. And they spoke a lot about what is going on with this new offense. And every time they speak about this new offense, how much of it that is changing seems to change. <laughs> Remember, it started at like, eh, 15 to 20, 25% maybe. Well, that number keeps creeping up and up and up. And the more we hear, it sounds like the more is changing. How much different is this offense going to look next year? That more all coming up here on the Saturday morning hangover on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. This is Mike Greenberg. Let's talk the biggest stories in sports weekday mornings at 10. San oh! Antonio Sports Star, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 1250. Welcome back into the Saturday morning hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I'm James Pledger. Jack Thompson and Katie Goodman are out this morning. Of course, you can keep up with the show. Follow us on our live stream 
on YouTube at SA Sports Star. Subscribe, like, comment along with the show. We will get to those comments as they come in. Of course, like David Alejandro, who says, What's up, Pledge? What's going on, my man? Of course, Jonathan C. chimed in, said Dial was the biggest underrated passing big man of all time. All time feels like a, a bit of hyperbole, but I get what you're saying. He was highly underrated, especially as a passer and initiator of the offense. Um, Dallas Cowboys at OTAs. We're starting to hear more and more about this offense. Mike McCarthy spoke with the media this week and talked about some of the what now starting to feel like from 15 to 20 percent major changes to the offense all of a sudden. You know, the, the biggest thing it, it, in, that I'm experiencing is, and, it, and it's important, um, you know, because you have people that you've worked with uh, in that realm before um, that, that do understand how you, because the play caller in, in the templates that you establish for game plan, you know, everybody's a little different. So that that's, that's where we're, you know, really um, – Need to focus on here to probably the next couple of weeks and, and obviously through training camp because you know we've spent so much time you know scrubbing down the offense and getting it getting it the way we want it and um, so I mean this offensive staff has put in unbelievable hours in this it's really like a first year approach for us and you know, you know so that that's taken up a lot of our time so you know because the most important thing we do when it comes to in season is, you know, we, we, we got to have the game plans tight and, and you don't want to be wasting time reps, um, you know, still concept um, detailing and things like that. So I think our, we've done a really good job of that, but yeah, the biggest thing I'm, I'm, I'm experienced right now is just really getting everybody on the same page as far as the vision of how we game plan, you know, specifics of our situational football, um, you know, how it's tied to the, to the game management component because, you know, that those conversations that we're having now will make our end-season process uh, smoother. I'm, I'm not really worried about Sundays. You know, I'm actually looking forward to Sundays because, I mean, as, as a play caller, you really get a chance to compete against the other guy, and that's something I've always enjoyed and, and, and always have tried to put as much, you know, time as I possibly can into it. So I am looking forward to that. But, I mean, there's, there's a lot to get done between now and then. I mean, when you talk about scrubbing down the offense, it almost kind of sounds like, you know, stripping it down to its studs. I know they're trying to keep the verbiage the same for Dak's benefit, but it feels like a lot more of this offense is changing than 15 to 20%, like when we first heard, and then it was 25 to 30%. A little bit later, I think, as we got to the combine when McCarthy spoke around there, and then again, when they were speaking around the draft and free agency, the more you hear from them, it more sounds like this offense is changing. And CD Lamb was talking about that new offense and some of the changes. Uh, honestly, the new verbiage, of course, a uh, whole new scheme. You know what I'm saying? It's just whole new scheme. It's just a lot throwing at throwing at you at once. You know, you're taking the time, the OTAs to really build, you know, bond and grow together, and uh, understand the assignments that you know that's placed upon each and each and every one of us that's in this locker room and man I can't wait to see you know see it all unfold do we have to take a step back from expectations on this offense I know they added a bunch of pieces I know the offensive line's in really good shape I know they have Brandon Cooks but the amount of change that it sounds like this offense is going through could there be some early growing pains with this offense 
just in terms of getting everyone on the same page, both training camp early in the season until it really starts clicking. Because CD continued and talked about the difficulties that he and Dak were having just last year. Uh, not necessarily. Dak is, you know, a great player. He's always been a great player. Um, his work ethic has never been questioned. His leadership has never been questioned. Just him being able to, you know, connect on the small things, connect with us, of course, and um, us doing a better job of being available to him. You know, so it, just being on the same page, I feel like that's the best. That was the biggest problem for us last year. We were never on the same. Well, we were on the same page. It was just not as not as often as we want. So, uh, I mean, obviously, there it, it turned into brutal mistakes, but that's why we're here now, you know, to grow and be better. They weren't on the same page last year. We still had over a thousand yards and a hundred catches. So not being on the same page, definitely, definitely tough. David Alejandro says he'd love to see Tolbert come out of nowhere and have a big offseason. Tolbert did actually speak about his struggles last year and why he struggled so hard. Yeah, it was. I I don't know the specific week or whatever, but I could feel myself just not confident in everything. And that's kind of what I was doing, you know, playing all the spots. So it was, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe I have to go to F or Z or Y or whatever. And I wasn't as confident at that certain time at that spot. So I would start thinking. And then obviously, like I said, once you run out and you're thinking about splits, depth, coverage, you know, the play being snapped. So now you're not playing fast as you want to. And then the coverage switch, they disguise it. So a lot of that, uh, obviously, try to get out the window and just go and, like I said, last year I realized it and obviously tried to fix it and started talking with some older guys, even T.Y. last year. T.Y. Hilton helped me out a lot. Um, and he obviously, like I said, we talked about his situation and, you know, how he became who he was. So just having those older guys to be able to give me uh, guidance and, you know, talk with me was big. And, you know, like I said, I'm just looking forward to next year. There's a lot of struggles in the receiving core last year, it feels like. Michael Gallup went healthy. C.D. and Dak were on the same page. Jalen Tolbert had a tough time picking things up, it sounds like. No clear-cut number two with Gallup not being healthy. It's a lot to work through. So now they're learning a whole new system, a system that they you hope they pick up better than last year, but I don't understand the struggles if last year there were struggles and not being on the same page. CD's been playing with Dak for a few years now. They've been on the same page. Why was it different? Was it different because CD's the number one and his responsibilities changed? Did the offense change in the offseason and they weren't picking it up? There's a lot of things coming out of Cowboys camp with the changing of this offense that make me think that maybe they're not going to just kind of get off to the quickest start. James Condar on our YouTube Live says that the Cowboys will change 75% of the offense. Feels like it's starting to trend that way with the more and more we hear about it. Dak still checks out 75% of the plays to dirt a ball three yards in front of his receiver, 12-5 and five in a first-round exit. That, their credit report says that's all factual and true. <laughs> there was... A lot of checking out plays, things that McCarthy has alluded to in the past. I don't know how much freedom he will have at the line of scrimmage moving forward now that Kellen Moore is not there. 
but it's going to be very interesting as the season unfolds to see how this Cowboys offense kind of comes together. I mean, that's not the only thing going on there. The defense looks like while the offense, there's going to be some growing pains, the defense may hit the ground running and may be the thing that carries this team, especially early in the season. We'll look at Micah Parsons, some of the things going on on the defensive side of the ball. And I've got some questions for a little bit later in the show, in the 10 o'clock hour. And there are questions I have regarding the Cowboys and their needs. What are their biggest needs? Is it kicker? Is it running back? Is it offensive line depth? Is it quarterback? I have a couple of ideas. I think the Cowboys have ignored two things way too long, at least this offseason, and one one of them could pay massive dividends. We'll get into that in the 10 o'clock hour, but coming up next, that Cowboys defense, will it be shouldering the load as we move forward? This is the Saturday morning hangover. No Jack, no Katie this morning. It's just me, James Pledger, rhyme with you. Of course, you can be a part of the show. Comment along on our YouTube page at SA Sports Star, or you can tweet at the show at SA Sports Star or at I Am Pledger. This is the Saturday morning hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM and ESPNSA.com. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I'm James Pledger. No Jack Thompson, no Katie Goodman. Of course, you can keep up with the show online, multitude of ways. Kielbasa Smoke Meat phone. You can call or text 656-ESPN, 656-3776. Remember, coming up. Sometime this hour, I'm going to play a Weezer song. You be color 11 when you hear that song, and you can win tickets to go see Weezer June 8th at the Germania Insurance Amphitheater in Austin in the 10 o'clock hour. I've got Thomas Rhett tickets I'm going to be giving away. You can also reach out to us online, Twitter, at SA Sports Star, at I Am Pledger, or you can follow us on YouTube, watch the show live, comment in the section there. Just go to YouTube.com, search SA Sports Star. The offense, I told you, may be a work in progress as this thing goes on. The more we hear about it, the more it feels like it's changing. And with the new pieces, with Brandon Cooks, with Ferguson gone, bringing in Shoemaker at tight end, uh, you're... While you're confident in the pieces of that offensive line, you're not sure exactly where everybody on that offensive line is going to line up to start. Where's Tyler Smith? He played really good at left tackle last year, but Tyron Smith, healthy for now. You figure he's going to start at left tackle. Is he going to move to left guard like he was initially going to? Terrence Steele, are they going to try and kick him into guard instead of leaving him out at tackle and leave uh, Tyler Smith out at tackle? You just don't know exactly what their plan is for that offensive line or how it's going to look. So there's going to need to be some continuity building there as well. So I just worry about the at least early success of the offense. It will it will have success, but how much? It's not going to be its finished product early in the season. There's going to probably be some growing pains with learning all the new, as C.D. Lamb said, both verbiage and kind of play designs and the way that they get their plays in and the way that McCarthy's going to call the play 
as opposed to how Kellen Moore called the play. Just a bunch of differences on that offense, and I'm wondering how much continuity he'll have. The defense, though, Dan Quinn's back. You've got Micah Parsons leading the way. You've got Sam Williams taking a second step. You've got Demarcus Lawrence. You brought back that linebacking core. You brought back Donovan Wilson. You have Malik Hooker. You have Jaron Curse. Like front to back, it is solid. They've added to it when you bring in a Stephon Gilmore to play opposite Trayvon Diggs. PFF Sam Monson, one of their top analysts over there at Pro Football Focus, he ranked the top ten corners according to their grades. And the Cowboys had two in the top 10. They were the only team with two corners in the top 10. You had Stephon Gilmore at 6 and Trayvon Diggs at 8. That is massive for a team. Like I said, I was very critical a few seasons ago when Trayvon Diggs had, what was it, 14 interceptions but gave up over 1,100 yards and multiple touchdowns on the season because he kept getting burned, because he kept gambling and jumping. And I said, he may not even have a fraction, 75%, 25% of the interceptions he had the previous year. But if he could clean up those big plays, I would much prefer him as a corner. He did. He was great last year. He did not give up the big play. You still got some turnovers from him, just not in the same vein. But I think by not giving up the big play, it made him an even better corner than he was the year he had those 14 interceptions. So... They've gotten even better. A lot of people think Stephon Gilmore's getting older. Eh, his play deteriorated over the last couple of years because of injury. He is finally healthy and closer to his defensive player of the year form in 2019 than he was at any point over the last few years in Carolina. In Indy, you started to see him regain some of that form which is why Sam Munson has him so highly rated as a corner, but Indy was just really, really bad, so you didn't notice how good he was. So getting him for, I think it was a fifth-round pick, if I remember correctly, is a steal. Having him on the other side of Trayvon Diggs, and that just him being able to communicate and teach and help Trayvon Diggs grow is going to be massive. And then you got Micah Parsons taking his next step. He's been adding weight this offseason. He's been doing other things. He's added boxing to his training regimen. And I thought it was really interesting the reason why boxing was actually added to his training regimen. Because I got tired of people punching in my face. You know, I'm a smaller end, and these guys are long. And just learning how to keep my hands up, knocking down, defending my chest, defending my face, and just being smooth. Like, you you know, and I took Osa and Chauncey, you know, they, Osa's coming in. You can't imagine him hitting the bag. <laughs> it's just all aggressiveness. It's like, Osa, smooth. Be, like, <laughs> just jab. Like, you just you just need a small jab. Yeah. Like, you don't have to try to knock him out every time. Yeah. So, um, I brought him DQ. I, I had to take him to them deep waters. DQ said, there was a few times DQ said, hold on, hold on. <laughs> and then afterwards, he said, you know what, Mike? I'm trusting your process. You're going to be hell of a year this year. I was like, you damn right, Q. <laughs> DQ, of course, Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, as he is incorporating this because, as he said, he's a smaller defensive end. You saw he started off gangbusters on the season, just sacks and really making a play to be defensive player of the year. But his play slowly kind of tapered off. And 
the reason it tapered off is because of the abuse he was taking on that defensive line, as he said, getting punched in the face. And I remember Dat Wynn, a linebacker for the Cowboys, Texas A&M Aggies, former co-host of the Blitz here with Jason Minix. He used to talk to players at camp. I remember Whitney Merciless with the Texans one year, especially working with him on his hands and hand placement. Most defensive linemen and linebackers, defensive players will tell you how important your hands are more so than almost anything else because those bigger offensive linemen, they're attacking you, they're, they want to get into your chest, into your face, just kind of disrupt you. And boxing is great because at least boxing defensively, it's about using your hands to kind of block oncoming shots more so than anything. So him being able to hand fight, do things like that, kind of move and take away what the offensive linemen are trying to do, I think that that's going to be massive for Micah Parsons. And as you can tell, Dan Quinn is like, all right, I see what you're trying to do. I get it. It makes sense. And I thought it was really interesting because McCarthy talked about him going to the next level and he's already playing at such a high, nearly defensive player of the year level. You wonder what that next level looks like for him. And it may not necessarily just be about like getting the sack title. I'm kind of off the sack wave. I'm on. I'm on to the impact wave. Like you see, Aaron Donald, he can have 12 sacks, but the impact he makes is like so dominant. Like you can tell. I'm really just want to be a dominant. Then you see guys who have 16, 17 sacks, but they're not considered a a guy. I want to be a guy, not one of the guys. You feel me? So uh, it's levels of the mental. If you're chasing, if you're always chasing, then you're never achieving. You feel me? So I'm not chasing for something. I'm trying to achieve and be greater than someone's chasing. And a good Aaron Donald's kind of a good example of that because he makes an impact outside of his actual sacks. While, take a look at Philadelphia. Hassan Reddick was near the top of the league in sacks last year. And you kind of looked at and went, whoa, Hassan Reddick has, you know, 19 sacks or 18 sacks or whatever it was. And it's like, but what was his impact outside of those sacks? Like, if he wasn't getting the pressure, was his impact still felt? And I don't think it was felt in the same way as defensive players like J.J. Watt, T.J. Watt, Aaron Donald like back in their heydays, because they make an impact on more so. It, uh, Nick Bosa is another really good uh, kind of addition to that because of the impact he makes run game, pass game, getting pressures when he's not getting sacks. It, it's all-inclusive, I believe, from that defensive end position, and he's starting to feel that. Drew says, don't know if hand finding is going to benefit him with boxing. Definitely going to... Uh, he definitely is going to have gas in the tank in the fourth quarter in overtime. He blew up a few times last year, Pledge. Look, I think hand fight, defensive players, linemen, linebackers swear by their hands and how much it means to them. I think it means a great deal, and I really think this is going to benefit Micah Parsons as he moves into the season this upcoming year. One of the things about this Cowboys defense and the continuity and everything they're bringing back they don't have is remember there was an exodus of coaches at the end of the year, not just Kellen Moore, Skip Pete, longtime running backs coach, and 
George Floyd, who was a former defensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings, when he lost his job, he came down to Dallas, became kind of their linebackers coach, assistant defensive coordinator. He was also let go when his contract expired. He's now, I believe, in Tampa Bay. And I don't think we all really truly understood the impact that George Edwards had on Micah Parsons. Yeah, it, it's completely different, man. We were just talking about how I, I was on the sideline today. I was like, man, I miss George, man. Like, you know, it, it's just nice. Like, they, people just say George was my dad at the building. Like, you know, it's like even when he wasn't looking, he was always watching me, you know. And um, I kind of miss that person that's, like, always on my head. Um, and I think he always wanted me to be greater than he saw something that I'd never saw, and I'm kind of starting to see it just part of being great and just doing the little things and just following the plan because uh, there's always a bigger picture. He wanted me to be great, saw things I didn't see, and I'm starting to finally see those things now. And he elaborated on some of those things that he was seeing that he didn't see at the time, but is starting to make sense to him. Yeah, just like George was like, hey, man, you got to do this. Uh, he, he would advise me. I'm like, no, nah, George, don't worry about it. I got it. Like, and, you know, the wear and tear builds on. I'm like, and now when he calls me on his walks, he still calls me. And he's, on, he's like, hey, I'm doing my miles right now. How you doing? And he's like, are you doing this? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing it, George. He's like, that's good. I'm proud of you. And just like, you know, just all the little things that a father would tell his son, you know. That's really cool. I didn't know their relationship was that close. And I think this hand fighting thing is part of what George was telling him. Because remember, Micah came into the league and set the world on fire. So it's easy for you to get caught up with, look, I'm great. I'm doing things the right way and kind of blow it off like he's kind of said he did. He's like, don't worry, I got this, George. And now he's starting to see what he was talking about as he wore down throughout the season and offensive linemen started getting into him and it started to wear him down. I think that's kind of where this boxing training and hand fighting is coming from with him this offseason is he is understanding what George was talking about now and he is taking it to heart. And I think this is going to help elevate his game to the next level, which Mike McCarthy says that he still sees in him. I'm James Pledger. No Jack Thompson. No Katie Goodman. Of course, you can follow along with the show at SA Sports Star on Twitter. I am at I am Pledger. Or, of course, you can tweet or text in the Kielbasa Smoke Money phone line 656 ESPN 656 3776. And remember, like I said, I've got Weezer tickets to give away if you were listening. Caller number 11, 656-ESPN, 656-3776 on the Kielbasa Smoke Meat phone lines. Chance to go see Weezer on June the 8th, next Thursday, at the Germania Insurance Amphitheater in Austin. So, call in now. When we come back, though, the Big 12 looking to expand. Lots of teams being mentioned. UTSA, not one of them. Why is that? I know they're just now going to the AAC, but... Could it be even deeper than just the football program and more? It's all coming up right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 941 FM and ESPNSA.com. This is Michael Jimenez, and you're listening to 941 San Antonio Sports Star. Welcome back into the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I am James Pledger. I am Ryan Solo this morning. No Jack Thompson. No Katie Goodman. 
but I'll keep you going until 11 o'clock. We'll rock it all the way. College football is undergoing a massive shift. We saw Texas and OU at the SEC media days this week. And as they get ready for their entrance, it was announced by Greg Sankey of the SEC that they're going to, at least for the 2024 season, when Texas and OU first come into the league, they're going to go with the eight-game schedule, no divisions. And the not so with no divisions, no East, no West, no SEC, the top two teams with the top two records will play each other in the SEC title game. That is really cool. But because the SEC is growing, other schools are shrinking. We know, do know that the Big 12 is adding BYU, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF this upcoming year for football. But it could get even bigger because Gonzaga now seems to be in play for the Big 12 in a basketball-only type of way. And Menix brought this up on Thursday on the Blitz, and it makes sense because the Big 12, at least Commissioner Brett York, says he sees the upside in basketball. Quote, we do see the upside in basketball moving forward for all the right reasons, Yorkman said, without mentioning any specific schools. We think it's undervalued and there's a chance for us to double down as the number one basketball conference in America, which don't get twisted. The Big 12 has been the number one basketball conference in America the past few years, followed by the Big 10 and the SEC. Now, Football is the driver. We all know that. As we think about the future and ways to create value, there is always the option to decouple basketball from football and see it as we further create in this conference, which makes a lot of sense because before this came out, Menix was talking about UTSA. Why aren't they being mentioned along with, you know, Colorado and Gonzaga? Colorado makes sense. They are a former Big 12 school. Deion Sanders, primetime, just everything that you can get with a Colorado because of Deion Sanders and what he brings to that program. It makes sense. They're on the upswing in football. They're kind of must-watch TV right now because of Deion Sanders. And they've been good in basketball in the Pac-12, so you start to wonder about this team. All right, what do you do moving forward? How else do you end up bringing other teams in? And UTSA's name's Vandy about, and a lot of people are wondering, why not UTSA? Well, I do think they have to adjust to life in the AAC first because it is another big step up for them. Yes, they were doing very, very well football-wise and in other sports. Basketball, they were getting drug in the Conference USA, and... Their basketball facilities are subpar. I know they're trying to create a new basketball practice facility, but let's face it, the historic Convocation Center is old, outdated, and not a good venue. And there's a reason teams like Memphis are being mentioned, and teams like Colorado and Gonzaga, because basketball powerhouses, they... If they truly want to be the number one conference in basketball, it doesn't behoove you to bring a UTSA into the fold. I also do think it's going to take time for UTSA to even acclimate to playing in the AAC. Yes, they are really, really good in Conference USA, and I think they will be able to compete in the AAC. But in college football, it's about your facilities. They just got the new race center. They don't even have an indoor practice facility at UTSA. 
that puts the football team behind the, the the eight ball in terms of recruiting already against other teams like Cincinnati and, and Memphis and other teams that are already sustained in the AAC. But basketball is even, even further behind than that. They just have so much to do to bring those facilities up to par to give them a chance to compete. Yes, I think Jeff Trailer is a fantastic coach and he does great things, but you still have to have those facilities to compete. You still have to be able, like he says, to compete in the NIL and to compete with your own coaching staff. We've heard him complain multiple times, and not complain, but bring awareness to the fact that other coaches are getting stolen. He needs to be able to pay his guys with a rise in up to the conference level from Conference USA to the AC, that's going to be a bigger disparity, and he's going to need more money for his coaching staffs to be able to compete against the other schools in that, plus the facilities, plus NIL. There are so many things that UTSA has to catch up on, and that's on all of San Antonio. We need to be able to donate more, to raise NIL money, to do these things, to raise the facilities that will get them to the next level so that then we can start talking about the Big 12. Because if they go to the Big 12 as is, even football is going to fall off the map just because they're they're ill-equipped to compete against the other teams that are in the Big 12. And I think it's important for them to bring their facilities up to par and compete in these other aspects first in the AAC before we start thinking about running before we can walk into the Big 12. I'm James Pledger, no Jack Thompson, no Katie Goodman this morning, but I'm going to take you all the way straight up to 11 o'clock. And don't forget, tomorrow we've got right here the NBA Finals. Your home for the NBA Finals is San Antonio Sports Star. Pre-game starts at 6 o'clock, tip-off at 7 o'clock. Nuggets have a 1-0 series lead. We're going to talk more about that in the next hour. And But... While we talked about the Cowboys, the Houston Texans have also had a very, very nice OTA. And there's more news coming out regarding DeAndre Hopkins and where he could land. Dallas Cowboys have the fourth best odds, according to Vegas, to land him. Where does he land? And are there other players outside of DeAndre Hopkins that the Cowboys should actually be focused on acquiring? That's all coming up right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. James Pledger. Jack Thompson, the Saturday morning hangover. Welcome back into the Saturday morning hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I am James Pledger. No Jack Thompson, no Katie Goodman this morning, but I'll take you all the way up till 11 o'clock. I will be your hangover without the headache this morning. Don't forget, we've got a pair of Thomas Rhett tickets to give away to see him live in concert at the Moody Center in Austin on Saturday, August the 5th. I will be giving those away at some point this hour, so stay tuned for your chance to win tickets to go see Thomas Rhett at the Moody Center. We've been talking a lot about Cowboys OTAs, what the Cowboys need to do, and I have, I'm going to put this bug in your ear, let you contemplate on it for when we get to it here coming up in a little bit, but would it behoove the Cowboys to sign Carson Wentz? Think on that. I'll expand later in the show coming up here in about 15 minutes. But first, I want to talk about the Houston Texans because this week, OTA is round two. 
CJ was running with the twos last week. CJ Stroud now this week running with the ones at OTAs in training camps, making progress according to anyone and everyone that we hear from, like head coach D'Amico Ryans, who says CJ is progressing well. Each day he continues to get better, continues to get more comfortable with the verbiage of the offense and his command in the huddle. I thought this week's been really good, coming off a long weekend. It was very eye-opening to see how it was. He did an awesome job in our situational periods, so he's definitely progressing in the right direction, and the sky is the limit for him. Now, new quarterback coach Gerard Johnson, former Texas A&M Aggie, seconded that assessment, saying that Stroud is, quote, already way, way ahead of pace with both his footwork and his timing within the offense. The Texans also have a first-time offensive coordinator and Bobby Slowick, who spoke with the media this week and talked about C.J. Stroud's progression. Yeah, it's really exciting. Really, all the all the rookies in general came into, like, from the get-go with a mindset of they were going to attack this thing. I mean, they've all been uh, mentally in the classroom. They've been getting after it as far as putting the time in. They came to work. They've been buying into what we're telling them to do on the field. Again, it's similar to what Burke had just said when he was talking about the overall philosophy. Like, everything we do really as a football team starts from minutia and grows up into an offensive side of the ball and then from there into a team. And there's a lot of fundamentals and techniques that go along with that at every position. So quarterback, receiver, back all the way across the offense, and they've all really came in and attacked it as as a group, which is probably one of the coolest things to see with CJ is it's not just him alone. They're all doing it together. Um, and, and he's been awesome. He's been putting the work in. They've all been coming in for some extra work um, and, and doing stuff on their own when they're away from here. Um, they've been doing great. Doing a lot of things outside, really trying to get it. And John McClain told a story this week on the Blitz about Jalen Petrie, and they were he was with C.J. Stroud outside of practice, and they were doing things out in the public, and all C.J. could do was talk about the defense, what he was seeing, how to react to different things. Everything was football-related and trying to get better, and that is the kind of work ethic that is really kind of impressive when it comes to a young quarterback and their ability and willingness and want to learn more than anything. And I think this story from Texans defensive coordinator Matt Burke really shows a lot about CJ's desire to be great and kind of, don't take this out of context, I'm not comparing him to Tom Brady, but in terms of just wanting to understand everything and every aspect it feels like he's going extra in terms of trying to figure things out as you hear the story from Matt Burke I'll tell you one story honestly we did a two-minute drive at the end um at the end of practice sometime last week and uh he threw into a kind of a coverage we hadn't shown it was the first day we put the coverage in and he threw in um probably wasn't a throw he, he probably wanted back I'll just say it that way but the first thing he did when I was walking off the field he grabbed me he said yeah he literally coach Burke and he spent about 10 minutes walking in off the field asking me about the coverage and just sort of what he saw and, and how, we, how we kind of set it up and, and talk through that. So I think just, again, his, his deliberateness and intent to try to get better, and, like, he's literally grabbing everybody he can in the field. Um, I actually, I love, like, all those guys, Davis and, and Case and those guys, like, I, like during stretch lines, I kind of go hang out and talk to them a little bit about some of the stuff we're doing in the periods and just try to get that back and forth. And um, so he, he's been very sort of intentional of 
learning defense too. Like, hey, what'd you call there? What was that coverage? Or what'd you do here? So uh, I respect that from him. I really enjoy hearing that. And it's not just because it's CJ Stroud. It's not just because it's the Texans. I enjoy hearing about things like that from players who kind of go out of their way and the fact that he wants to know what the defense is doing as much as he wants to. Because remember, he's still learning this offense too. So while he's learning the verbiage and the system and where everybody's supposed to be and where his progressions are supposed to go, he's also trying to learn the defensive side of things because if he knows what's happening on the other side of the ball, it's going to be better for him to be able to exploit those things when he sees them again. And that feels very Tom Brady-ish in the terms of over-preparedness and knowing what the other side's doing so that you can best do that. You know, Peyton Manning was really good about trying to figure out what the defense was doing. So I think quarterback is very symbiotic on both sides of the ball. And the more you know about each side, the better you can be. Not only about yourself and your own side and what to do, but what the defense is trying to do, what it's trying to take it away, and how best to exploit that aspect of it. And I think that's very, very impressive from a young quarterback in C.J. Stroud who is just kind of getting his feet under him. And the fact that he's already running with the ones this year, I think it is a an omen to kind of how things are going to go. This Texans team, the one of the few questions I have about it, really comes on the offensive side of the ball with the receivers. While there's a lot of upside to having a Robert Woods and being able to teach these young guys, and you feel good about Tank Dell and Xavier Hutchison, who they took in the sixth round, and Nico Collins coming into his second year, even though they lost Brandon Cooks, you uh, they added a Dalton Schultz. So this wide receiver group, you it's not impressive, but you like the upside, especially with John Mechie, their second-round pick from last year out of Alabama coming back after undergoing leukemia treatment and getting a clean bill of health. You you see the upside in this receiving group, but it does lack a bona fide number one or anything like that. And DeAndre Hopkins, earlier this week, saying that, you know, quarterback, he doesn't care. It's not about playing with a specific quarterback. He's setting a, a training camp deadline now. He said he'd like a reunion with the Texans, according to sources, earlier this week from Brooks Cabina of the Houston Chronicle. Those are, I would love it in Houston, but I could also see the, I, them trying to grow these these younger guys and see what they have. They've been waiting to kind of see what Nico Collins is, but between injuries and poor quarterback play, you haven't really seen the best of this team uh, or the young players. Then you didn't get to see any of John Mechie last year. And then you've got two more young guys that you've added to this group and you signed a Noah Brown in free agency. So obviously they think something of him by adding him. I think there are so many pieces adding a DeAndre Hopkins takes away from the development of that. Although don't get me wrong. I'd be super stoked if they had a true legit number one in DeAndre Hopkins that can also kind of serve as a safety blanket for a young quarterback like CJ Stroud when they invested so heavily into that offensive line to protect him, seemingly learning the mistake they made 
all those years ago in 2002 with David Carr when he was just thrown in front of a college offensive line in the NFL and got eviscerated in his first five years in the league. This one, very different. You've got a uh, pro bowler and an all-pro left tackle and Titus Howard, who you just extended. They're talking about extending their right tackle, who graded very highly in PFF football rankings, and Titus Howard. You have a Pro Bowl-type guard in Shaq Mason, who's blocked for Tom Brady. You add a second-round center in Juice Scruggs, and then you have a first-rounder from last year in Kenyon Green, who you can hope can take a step forward this year, especially knowing that you have a very good player for him to kind of pick the brain of in Shaq Mason. And if not, they got a guy who didn't allow a sack during his tenure at Notre Dame and Jared Patterson, who can play both center and guard. So even if the former first round pick from last year turns out to be a bust, they have invested more into that position. So if he does struggle, maybe they have an answer for him. So just so much of what they're doing makes you feel very, very excited about the future and the way that this thing is heading. I think seven to nine wins is a distinct possibility coming into this upcoming season for the Houston Texans. And let's face it, if CJ Stroud does turn out to be that dude, that could be even better. And this team could compete in the AFC South and maybe future in the AFC in general with the way that they have kind of put this team together with Nick Casario and if D'Amico Ryans can kind of turn things around. Because you look at the defense, Stingley, the first-round pick last year, before the injury, played pretty well. Jalen Petrie was a great safety, versatile. They added a Jimmy Ward to play the other safety who was also versatile, which gives them flexibility. A former Pro Bowler a few years ago and Shaq Griffin, who they've added. Steven Nelson, who played very well last year. They've still got Desmond King, who is a very underrated slot corner. They revamped the linebacking room. You got Christian Harris last year, who you see a lot of potential and upside in. A pro bowler in Denzel Perryman they added. A former uh, pro bowler in Corey Littleton they've added to that linebacking core. And then on the defensive line, they trade up for Will Anderson. Jerry Hughes had nine and a half sacks last year. You've still got Jonathan Grenard. And then they add on the interior of the line with guys like Ken Law and Rankins and free agency and Malik Collins, who Cowboy fans know very well, also has played very well on that interior. So that defense, as bad as it's been the last two years, ranking at the absolute bottom of the NFL, feels like it is kind of flipping. And if they can be even in the middle, that is a huge step forward for this, especially with D'Amico Ryans possibly calling the plays. More of the Saturday morning hangover coming up. I asked the question as we went out of the 9 o'clock hour. Cowboys have done a lot right this offseason. You talk about Cooks. You talk about Gilmore. You talk about adding Mozzie Smith in the draft. There are a lot of reasons to be excited for Cowboy fans. Can it get even better, though? A lot of people are pointing to DeAndre Hopkins. I don't think that's as big of a need as, say, possibly a Dalvin Cook or something else. What do you think the biggest need is? Is it running back? Could you possibly bring in another quarterback? Could you possibly just add a kicker and solidify a position that the Cowboys have struggled at basically since Dan Bailey left and finding any kind of consistency. More on that coming up here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star. And don't forget, we've got Thomas Rhett tickets to give away this hour. 
be tuned in to go see Thomas Rhett on October, uh, excuse me, August 5th in Austin at the Moody Center a little bit later this hour. This is the Saturday Morning Hangover. No Jack, no Katie this morning. Just me. I am Pledger at Twitter. More of the Saturday Morning Hangover coming up next here on San Antonio Sports Star. Listen to 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star on your Amazon or Google smart speaker and just say, Alexa, play ESPN Radio on San Antonio Sports Star. Welcome back to the Saturday Morning Hangover, your hangover without the headache. I am James Pledger, riding solo this morning. I will take you till 11 o'clock. We got Rangers coming up this evening. Sorry, this afternoon. A little 2.30 action pregame. It's going to be very good as the first place Rangers continue things. And don't forget, the Blitz will be broadcasting live on Monday from the Rangers Stadium, Global Life Field, up there in Arlington as they get set to open up a series with the Cardinals. On the text line, people were calling in, asking Mondo, saying, did you see Wimby's between-the-leg dunk? Yeah, I saw it. That was insane. People 7-5 aren't supposed to move like that. It's crazy. Also, is Pop obligated to stay at least Four years now. He hadn't signed a new contract, and yeah, he'll most likely be here next year, but there are so many good coaches this year, we could have had the pick. Is it hurting the Spurs? Look, I imagine part of the reason the report is that uh, Pop went after they won the draft lottery up to France to talk to Wemby is probably to tell him, a lot like he told LaMarcus Aldridge, look, I'm here as long as you want me here, right? Because I do think that Pop is reinvigorated. Last year, I did not get a sense of a farewell tour for him. I actually felt that he was kind of enjoying it more so than ever before. And as much as he has in years, just teaching the young guys. And it's definitely, I think, lengthened his career more than I thought it was just two, three, four years ago. I thought he was really close to the end. But. I do think that this young group and and now landing Victor Wimbanyama has opened Pop went Pop's window a little bit longer, and maybe that's why he went up there was to be like, hey Vic, would you like would you like to learn under me? How long would you like me there, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I kind of think those are conversations that went on as they get ready to pick him coming up here in just a few weeks in the NBA draft. Other things on the text line at I am pleasure from Wesley Perkins at Wesley. Lee Perk. The Big 12 will likely add Colorado and Yukon into the Big 12. Hope to get Arizona and Arizona State in the future. Gonzaga basketball makes sense. The issue is that UTSA is relatively new in football. It's going to take decades to have the donors and boosters like Big 12 schools. He's a Red Raider alum. UTSA alums that have been around from the beginning need to help out the program to get it to grow as those numbers of the alums grow. So will the program agreed like i said alums donors boosters this all comes down to money when it comes to utsa and they're just not there with some of the other bigger power five schools to make that jump there to be able to compete immediately i believe 
Lots going on on the Kielbasa Smoke Meats phone line, 656-656-3776, 656-ESPN if you want to be a part of the show. I'll get to the calls as I can. Just hang in there, and I will get to them in breaks, find out what you want to talk about, and we will get on it. But the Dallas Cowboys, they've been going through OTAs. They've made a lot of great moves, adding Stephon Gilmore, adding Brandon Cooks, bringing back Donovan Wilson, Leighton Van Der Esch, really doing things to help solidify backup Cooper Rush. But Mozzie Smith and solidifying that interior line, bringing back Jonathan Hankins. These are all great moves by the Cowboys this offseason. But there are things that they could possibly do as they have 20-something million, about $21 million in cap space before the end of the year, and I know some of it's bookmarked for different things, including extensions like C.D. Lamb, Trayvon Diggs, and Dak Prescott. But Dak Prescott would actually probably open up more cap space, if we're being honest, and the way that you structure these deals. Michael Gallup seemingly healthy again. You keep hearing the word springing coming out of Cowboys OTAs. So all this fascination with DeAndre Hopkins doesn't make sense because you've got Michael Gallup, who is seemingly healthy. You've got Brandon Cooks, who you just added to be the number two. You've got CeeDee Lamb, who is the number one. What do you what are you gonna do with a DeAndre Hopkins? There's only so many balls you can go along, and all we've heard all offseason is we're gonna run the damn ball from Mike McCarthy. We're gonna run. We're gonna run the ball better. So I don't think DeAndre Hopkins brings what the Cowboys necessarily need. Now, if Dalvin Cook ends up being cut, sure, that's a position I think that the Cowboys could use some help. But when you look at Tony Pollard, who is coming into the year as RB1 and has mentioned that he is ahead of schedule, right, in his rehab, he talked about that running back room and it feels like they feel that the running back room is pretty set. Um, I'm, I feel like everybody is different, you know. Um, Deuce, he's more of a quick, twitchy guy. You got Rojo, he's more of a, a bigger body back. Um, Malik Davis, I feel like he's a combination of a little bit of everything from all the backs in the room. Um, you got speed, the agility, the, the quickness, the shiftiness. So it's a lot of different traits and characteristics with the different guys in the room. Everybody does something different. Malik does a little bit of everything. Pollard's the number one overall guy. He's going to lead the team in touches, which, great. And I've been a proponent of, with that being the case, finally, now you can bring back Zeke at a contract worth his value, but still end up giving you know him the short yardage work and actually have it be what it should have been. I've been a proponent of that. Others have... Uh, called for possibly a Leonard Fournette, somebody that can just be a goal line bruiser the same way that Zeke could. But Zeke means a lot to that locker room, so I could see his value in that. If they feel like they're set at the running back room, I'm inclined to believe them. But there are other things, like kicker. Why have they still not gone and addressed this issue? Brandon McManus was cut by the Broncos. Picked up by the Jaguars. The Jaguars dropped their kicker, who was then picked up by the Detroit Lions. So we've seen a couple of kickers already move, change places. There's some names out there, whether it's Mason Crosby, who has familiarity with Mike McCarthy from their days in Green Bay together, or a guy that I really 
think that they should go after in terms of Robbie Gold, who has been nails for a bunch of different teams, including the San Francisco 49ers. In uh, years of late, I think he would be a solid addition to help at least stabilize the position of kicker and especially extra points and and shorter yardage field goals. Now, in his advanced age, am I asking him to kick 58 yarders? Probably not. But I also think having a kicker based purely on his leg strength is dumb. You want consistency because you're not kicking a whole lot of 50 yarders. So what's the point of having that weapon in your bag if you're only going to use it once a game maybe? This is a team that's an offense that already does really well from 20 to 20 anyway. Their problem has been punching it in. But even if that's not the case, extra points and, and closer field goals. You want him to be solid at that. And I feel like that's the most important thing. People make a big deal about Brett Maher's kick to beat the Los Angeles Chargers in week two when it was a 50-something yarder where McCarthy almost messed up the clock. Okay, that's great. He made a 58-yarder as time expired. That is an awesome club to have in your bag. It is an unnecessary club at times to have in your bag in terms of would you rather prefer that one instance or all the instances that led up to that. Maybe you missed a couple extra points and a short field goal. If you make those, you're not in position to have to kick a 58-yarder at the end of the game to win. I also think the Dallas Cowboys should take a swing at Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is a is a free agent right now looking for a home. I know that they re-signed Cooper Rush this offseason. But you get to keep three quarterbacks on the roster now. And on top of that, he is a former number two overall pick. We've seen him play at an MVP level. If you can develop this guy and he's good, if something happens to Dak, awesome. you got a great backup plan if you can recapture what he was. Even if you can't, or even if you do, he becomes trade bait to allow you to recoup value as a draft pick later in the season. Maybe another team's dealing with injury. Maybe... They want to trade for him. Maybe you get him on a couple of year deal and you, he performs well in the preseason and you can trade him after the preseason. There are multiple issues. Or how about this? Dak Prescott has all the hand going into contract negotiations this season when he has a $60 million cap pick next year to where the Cowboys are basically going to have to give him almost anything and everything he wants in contract negotiations because they have no other option right now. How about the Dallas Cowboys instead bring him on so that there is at least a smidgen of possible chance for you to get some hand in contract negotiations and be like, all right, look, we like what we've seen from Carson Wentz so far here. We feel pretty good about him moving on. You can go try and find your value or we can sign and trade you. There are a bunch of options where at least adding a Carson Wentz to your roster, I believe, can benefit this team in the long run more so than anything, just the depth of the position because it is such a vital and important position. Can you fix him mentally? Because it feels like after he got hurt with his ACL in that game against the Los Angeles Rams a few seasons ago, it feels like everything kind of changed for him and he hasn't been the same player since. Is it physical? Is it mental? I don't know. But it feels like it behooves the Cowboys to at least... Why not take a flyer on it, right? I don't know. Tell me I'm crazy. 
Kielbasa Smoke Meats, phone line 656-ESPN-656-3776 if you want to get in on the conversation. But the NBA Finals, they are right around the corner. Tomorrow is Game 2. Nuggets have a 1-0 series lead. Can the Heat even things up before they go back to Miami and steal some momentum in this series? We'll talk about it next right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star 941 FM and ESPNSA.com. Welcome back into your hangover without the headache. This is the Saturday morning hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star 94.1 FM, ESPNSA.com. I am James Pledger running it solo this morning. Thanks for hanging with me. We'll take you till 11 o'clock. Lots of ways to get at me. Of course, you can always dial up the Kielbasa Smoke Meats phone line 656-ESPN-656-3776. You can call or text those lines. Drew decided to call him. Drew, what's going on? Welcome into the Saturday morning hangover, my man. Yeah, I was working out, you know, because I get in my reps. I don't do much heavy lifting anymore. I'm too old. I do mostly conditioning stuff, you know, kettlebells and all that stuff. Good stuff. Uh, you know, anyway, I was listening to your take on, on Pop. You know, he's here four years, mm-hmm. and we've lost a lot of coaches. So the, the next era parents, it's not Brett Brown. It's either Mitch no. or Matthew. Matthew from the, you know, Australian, he's yeah. big. So, what if one of these guys is like the next, next, the next? He's him. What? And then, and then, three years, three of this contract, they get hired by I don't know the Lakers or or Philadelphia. They were screwed. So, shouldn't they have an agreement? I don't know what the laws are. I'm not a lawyer, I'm a bird <laughs> lawyer, but I'm not a lawyer. I just put something in, in place and say, yeah, you're going to take over the team, so you don't leave. Yeah, head coach in waiting, kind of like uh, Will Muschamp was at the University of Texas for Mac Brown. But even yeah. those seem to fall through because people get hired before the other person ends up stepping down. Look, we've had, yeah, a, we'll we've had a lot of necks here, Drew. Count the necks. Becky was the next. Bub was the next. Um, Quinn... Snyder was the next. Uh, uh, Barriego was the next. Um, Will Hardy, who just went to Utah, was the next for a long time. The Spurs have had a lot of next guys. I think Pop's very adept at grooming coaches and sees potential. So I, I do believe that there will be a plan in place no matter what moving forward for his eventual secession and replacement. I believe that that he's always got somebody in the back of his mind and he encourages people if he's, you know, not near the end to go take other jobs. We saw that with Will Hardy. We saw that with uh, Boriego. We've seen that with a ton of coaches. He encourages them to go get other jobs. Becky Hammond. So I agree with you. I like Mitch Johnson. I think Mitch Johnson could be the next. But if Mitch leaves for another job, I do still think that there will be another plan in place. I think he thinks more than one step ahead. And it's not Brett Brown. Trust me. It's not Brett Brown. <laughs> I don't I think he's Brett the Brown. answer, Sorry, Drew. Brett. Talk to you later, dude. Love the guy. Appreciate the phone call, Drew. Uh, Brett Brown's not the next. I promise. 
I feel 99% sure that Brett Brown is not the eventual replacement to Pop. And if he is, it is a short-term kind of thing. It's going... It's probably going to be Mitch Johnson. I do have a feeling it's going to be Mitch. He feels like he's come up the ranks really quickly, kind of the same way Will Hardy did, and we see how that led to the job at Utah and how things are going well. So... It's going to be interesting to see moving forward. Uh, the NBA Finals, they get going right here on San Antonio Sports Star tomorrow. Game two, Heat down 1-0 to the Nuggets after Nuggets really wired to wire just kind of took that game. Never really felt in question. And I wonder, is there anything that Miami can do to get back into this series other than just having a very tough shooting night for the Denver Nuggets. Because I don't think they played great Monday, and they still won by 11. I think they struggled at times offensively, but because of Jokic's ability as a passer and his willingness to get others involved and how great he is as a passer as a big man, I think it's going to be very hard to stop this team. He, and they've got so many options. And we've seen defensively, they are better than they are given credit for the Denver Nuggets because we saw them closing out on shooters, doubling down, uh, really stifling in the paint. So much so that the Heat only got two free throw attempts. So it's going to be very difficult for Miami to get back in this series, in my opinion. In my opinion, this is going to likely be a shorter series, probably in the five-game range. Miami might get one at home, but it's going to be tough. It's just it's hard to see a path to victory, and if you have to talk yourself in, and I, I believe this wholeheartedly in a whole bunch of different things, if you keep saying if in front of a whole bunch of things, like with the Dallas Cowboys the previous year, if they clean up their turnovers, and if they stop their false start penalties, and if they manage the clock properly, and if Dak Prescott doesn't turn over the ball, like it's if, 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 if that if list gets over three to four things, too many things have to go right for you to get a win at that point. It is unsustainable, and I think at least a couple of things will go wrong. And if you have to keep going if this and if that and if that, then it's not going to be your night, and it's not your matchup. It's just not a good setup for you. And so with the Heat, even if they get Tyler Hero back, and if Tyler Hero comes back, and if they can uh, defensively shut down Denver offensively, which they kind of did and in game one, holding them to 104 points. And if the role players are all firing the kind of way they were in game seven against the Celtics, and if they don't turn the ball over, and if they can manage to get to Denver into kind of foul trouble, like if, 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 if. That's a lot of ifs for Miami to win when you just talk about Denver just has to play their ball. Denver has three great players. They can kind of, if one's taken away, they can go to another and they play very good defense. Jokic is a cheat code and very hard to defend, and it's hard to see a way for Miami to really neutralize and take him out of the game because of the way that he affects the game in so many different ways offensively, not just shooting the ball, also passing the ball, setting screen. He does so many things well that it's really hard to kind of erase him from the game, 
and there's no ifs with Denver. There are a lot of ifs with Miami, and I find it very tough for a team to overcome a certain amount of ifs when you're talking about things needing to go right. That's why I think this is a short series. That's why I think this will probably end in five, if not four. Denver is just really, really good. And Miami has played over their head this entire postseason. And they finally ran into some a, a, a team that they can't solve. Like with, with Boston, yes, they, they out-talented Miami. But that talent was just talent. Because... Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown seem like oil and water. They don't play well off of one another. One or the other always seems to be playing well. And Missoula is a first-time head coach. And we saw some of the struggles of that this year. And his ability to keep the team motivated. He talked about letting go of the rope multiple times in that series when they fell down 0-3. It was against them as soon as they went down 0-3 while they were more talented and you saw that it's hard to overcome a team that isn't ready to compete night in and night out play and play out that's where Miami gets you because they don't take their foot off the gas the Celtics were talented enough to where they thought they could Denver doesn't feel like they're going to take their foot off the gas at any point this series They feel they can taste that NBA title, their first ever, and they want it. I'm James Pledger. No Jack Thompson this morning. No Katie Goodman. But in lieu of them not being here, I've got giveaways for you. And one of the giveaways I have this hour is Thomas Rhett tickets. And if you'd like to go see him play at the Moody Center on August 5th in Austin for his home team tour, Be caller number nine right now at 656 ESPN, 210-656-3776 on the Kielbasa Smoke Meats phone lines. You could be going to see Thomas Rhett at the Moody Center in Austin. That's caller number nine right now, 656 ESPN, 656-3776. We're going to wrap up the show and get you ready for a great sports weekend. That's all coming up right here on the Saturday Morning Hangover on San Antonio Sports Star, 94.1 FM and ESPNSA.com. This is Mike Greenberg, and you're home for the Dallas Cowboys. San Antonio Sports Star, ESPN 94.1 FM and AM 1250. Welcome back into your hangover without the headache. 656 ESPN, 656-3776. I'm James Pledger. You're locked into the Saturday morning hangover. No Jack Thompson, no Katie Goodman this morning, but hopefully I've helped get you all the way till 11 o'clock. Kickstart your weekend. Getting some comments on our YouTube live feed. Search San Antonio Sports Star. Locked on Spurs, Jeff Garcia. It's okay, Pledger. It's not like I could have stepped in as your co-host with you, seeing as we've done it before. Sick invite. Come on, Jeff. You know you're always welcome. Call in now. We'll talk some Wimby. Call him right now, Jeff. 656 ESPN, 656-3776. Let's talk about Wimby. They lost yesterday, but Wimby still one went away from advancing as we get close in that uh, 
French League, NBL, NLB, whatever that league is. They're playing Asvel in the semifinals, and he is getting closer and closer to winning a championship. Uh, Rebecca Gonzalez says, can't wait for the game tonight. If everyone on the Heat plays to their full capabilities, should be a tough, close battle that we all want to see. If, 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 if. Lots of ifs. It is tough to overcome a bunch of ifs. Can they? Yes. Could they steal one? Sure. Is it probable to think that a bunch of role players outside of Jimmy Butler can help carry the weight when Jimmy Butler has been kind of stifled and it looks like Denver has made it a point to really take him out? It's very, very, very tough. And look, Nikola Jokic talks about kind of the influences of his game, and you'll notice he mentions a lot of Spurs in there. To be honest, I, back in back in Serbia, we, I didn't follow NBA that much. We know Page and and and, and Lada Divac because they were the, and Dražen Petrić. They were like the one who first went to NBA and opened the doors for every every other, let's say, European players or players from ex Yugoslavia. Uh, but when I came here, it was it was Timmy Duncan, it was Lamarcus Aldridge, it was Boris Boris Diaw. Uh, Nowitzki is the only non-spur that he mentioned. He mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge, he mentioned Tim Duncan, he mentioned Boris Diaw. And Duncan and Diaw were great passers as big men. Nikola Jokic, great passer as a big man. Asking you shall receive. 656 ESPN, 656-3776. Calling in on the Kielbasa Smoke Meets phone lines. My man, Jeff Garcia, the co-host of Locked On Spurs and, of course, the digital Kins 5 Spurs reporter. What's up, Jeff? I'm over here in tears. I remember the days where I used to be a regular guest on a Saturday morning hangover. Those days are gone now, Clash. I'm, I'm just so heartbroken right now. They're not gone, Jeff. They're not. <laughs> I just didn't have a lot of Spurs things to talk about when I talked. A ton well, of spurs. You are the first guy I'm going to call. But when it's, I was putting this show well, together with all the Mike McCarthy sound and all the Bobby Sloak sound and all the OTA stuff going on, I was talking a lot more football than basketball today. Well, I got a good game for you. You want to play it? Sure. Uh, we, uh, the last uh, episode of Lost Notes for had a game where we called it Build a Wendy Based Off Past Spurs. So, for example... He has the Wimby has the speed of David Robinson. Would you agree? I think it's comparable. Yes. Okay. Would you agree that Wimby has the footwork of Tim Duncan, or to to be determined? That's to be determined. Uh, Tim Duncan had great footwork, and I think Wimby could possibly be there. But I also think he's more athletic than Tim Duncan ever was. But in the highlights we've seen from France, it looks like there's something there with the footwork because he has that great drop step, kind of spin, and then charge of the basket move, very similar to Tim Duncan. Sure. I don't know if you caught that. I yeah. mean, he, but, he had a great one. Uh, Shaq had an incredible drop step. Um, oh, yeah. That was it. Okay, here's another one. Would you agree when he had the passing ability of Boris Diaz? I think it is on par with and can possibly be even greater. Yeah, if you read some of the uh, scatter reports about Wimby, you know, it's obviously the pros, you know, outweigh the cons, but on the con side, they do, they do say that he tends to turn the ball over a lot because he's so tall 
defenders have the ability to read him a little easier. So uh, I think that's something he's going to have to work on uh, when he comes to San Antonio. As much as we say, you know, the outside shot needs improvement because statistically he didn't shoot the ball well. I mean, Nikola Jokic sees over the defense pretty easily. I think being tall gives him an advantage of just being able to see the court better. Yeah, well, I, you know, I look at Wimby, and I, he's like such an amalgamation into this alien, as he likes to call himself, or he's being anointed. LeBron. You know, here's another one, too. Yeah, LeBron. Here's another one, too. Does, is it too soon, or could you see Wimby have a mid-range game like LaMarcus Aldridge? It's too soon, but I don't think Wimby's going to rely on his mid-game as much as LaMarcus did. I think he's going to spread the floor, and he's going to get to the rack, and the mid-game's just going to be kind of there. Like He'll have one, he has one, but it is not going to be one of the go-to moves in his bag, I don't think. Yeah, I, I, I look at I think I love her to develop a mid-range game. He shows that dirt one-legged uh, shot quite often, just from three. James, he shoots that one-legged shot from three. Yes. That's just ridiculous. So, uh, you know, we're also constructing the Wimby amalgamation of Spurs. <laughs> we say he's going to be a finisher at the rim like Robinson. Uh, I, yeah, I believe he can finish at the rim, similar to Robinson, especially as his body evolves. Jeff, I appreciate you calling into the show. I like this game. I want to play this game more, possibly next week. But for now, this has been the Saturday Morning Hangover right here on San Antonio Sports Star. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.